I know that you think I'm nuts, but I believe in a God who makes dead people alive. I believe in a God who, even though something doesn't exist, he brings it forth as if it does. Because I believe I'm going to praise God in the midst of this calamity because I know that my God is good. And when that happens, it says that we become fully convinced that what God has promised he is able to perform. Hope makes no sense to the world, especially hope in the midst of chaos. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will encourage you to have hope anyway, despite how misunderstood it will be. Hope claims that there is a promise and a great and mighty God to fulfill it. Hope gives you strength when all else has failed. There's power in hope and a testimony that will continue to grow and change the lives of those watching along the way. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study called Raised Up. In Romans chapter 4. You'll always know that you have a works mentality when you really dislike somebody who does the things you used to do. When the things that you no longer do, if you look down on them so bad, you're like, oh, then you know you're stuck in works. Because if you're not in works, but you're in grace, when you see that person, you're like, I was totally there as well. And thank God for Jesus that he saved me. See, what I have found is that somebody who used to be an alcoholic really loves to judge people who drink today. Because you've seen what God has done in your life, but then you get caught up in the fact that I used to do it, I don't do it anymore, it's the worst thing ever. But when you realize that you've been saved by sheer grace, you never get that arrogance. And listen, we have to ask ourselves as as the body of Christ, are we looking down on people who make the same mistakes we made back in the day? Are we the kind of people who think it's about works? Or do we say to ourselves, God's grace saved me. Not by what I did, but by what Jesus did. And by me judging somebody in my heart, by me not extending love and grace to them, am I pushing them away from the one thing that can save them? Now, I'm not saying we should be soft on sin, but there's a difference between saying, hey, look, that's really not so healthy, and literally looking down on somebody. Don't we all know what it's like to be repulsed by something because of the judgment of another person? I remember when I was on my journey towards Jesus, there was a believer in my life who was really judgmental. And I remember thinking to myself, why would I ever want to be like that person? And I remember when I got saved, my next thought was, and I've said this before, my next thought was, oh no, am I going to become like that guy? I'm a Christian. That's what a Christian is like. I don't want to be like that. See, Salvation is by faith apart from works. Now, he tells us a couple things here about the law that I think are really important. Notice, he says that if those who are of the law are the heirs or the, of the heirs of the promise, the inheritors of the promise, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. So it can't be one and the other. It's one or the other. And then it says, because the law brings about wrath, 
For where there is no law, verse 15, there is no transgression. Now think about that. That's a powerful statement. Why does the law bring about wrath? Because once there is a law, then you know what is acceptable and what is not. And then because of the knowledge of the acceptability of something, when you choose to live against that, then you are now transgressing. You are willfully being disobedient. Now, in the same way, we all know what it's like to have situations where you don't know what the expectations are, right? And then, like, everyone know what I'm talking about? Where you don't know what you're supposed to do, and then when you don't do it, someone gets really mad at you, and you're like, hey, I didn't know that I was supposed to do that. Like, I always tell people, especially when people are getting married, I always remind them, listen, expectations ruin relationships. If your spouse doesn't know what you expect of them, I guarantee you they're going to make you insane. Because expectations that are not articulated and understood, you're setting someone up for failure. That's why I always love when I was in school, teachers would say, okay, if you want to get an A in this class, this is what you need to do. And they'd lay it all out for you. Listen, we're getting, 30% of your grade is the exams, and the exams are going to be on the reading. 30% of your grade is going to be based on attendance, which means I had to show up if I wanted to get a good grade. You know what I mean? And then 40% of your grade is based on these two papers, which are, and when that happened, I'm like, I love this teacher why? because I knew exactly what they wanted from me. Does that make sense? But when you don't know what's expected of you, it's impossible to be able to live up to it. But here's the thing. When you have been very clear about your expectations and someone doesn't live up to it, then you know that they're just messed up. It's one of the things we do here on our staff. We have a large staff here at Crossroads. We're always talking about this is how you ace your job. This is what we're holding you accountable to. And then if someone isn't doing it, we're like, hey, listen, you know that your job description says this. This is what we're holding you accountable for. This is why you have a job. And now the thing is, is this, the, all these things didn't go well. So is it that you can't do it or you won't do it? Is it a hard thing or a skill thing? Right? If it's a skill thing, we can train you on the skills. But if it's a hard thing, only you can ask God to do a work in your heart. Does that make sense? And so in a lot of ways, once the law was given, then a person could say, I'm not going to do that. Now, can we all acknowledge that we've all transgressed in that way? We know what we're supposed to do. We just don't want to do it. You know what it's like when you're driving down I-5 and it's 55 mile an hour and you're behind a truck and you're just like, I just am tired of being behind this big truck. And so you pop out into the left lane and you press the gas and you push that thing to 71. That's called transgressing. Right? It's like, you know what the speed limit says. You know, but, and then if you get pulled over, you're like, listen, I was just in the passing lane. I've been going 55 for the last 87 miles. You know, but I just, I, you know, just that one moment, right? But the thing is, is you know when you get pulled over and you're in the left lane going 71 and a 55, you can cry, you can reason, you know, all this stuff. The cop can give you a ticket because you transgressed the law, right? And so in the same way, what the law does is it shows us what the standard is. And because it shows us the standard, then the punishment for violating that standard happens. But then notice what he says, verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's saying, listen, but salvation is not of works or us transgressing the law. It's of faith that it might be according to grace to whether somebody grew up Jewish, they're of the law, or to somebody who has the faith of Abraham. Someone who grew up outside of the law. 
And then it tells us, as is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And that's a quotation from Genesis 17.5. So this idea of being heirs, the heir of the world, Abraham is the father of us all. See, what you find is that Abraham is meant to be the father of all those who would believe in God. All those who would be saved by faith. That it might be according to grace. Now, before I leave the word grace, I just want to define it for you once again. If you've been here, we talk about grace, we always define it. Because oftentimes in our culture, these words mean different things. So if you just say, hey, what does it mean to, to have grace? Someone would say, oh, somebody who is, you know, they move effortlessly through a room like a ballerina. Right? Or somebody who's got social graces. So somebody who you could say something super mean to and they just kind of smile and you feel good and then you feel bad that you said something mean because they're so socially gifted. Right? But grace is literally God's unmerited, undeserved favor. My favorite definition of grace, you take the word G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. See, you are saved because you have been the recipient of all the riches of God at the expense of Jesus by dying on the cross. And so really what we have is that we are saved by trusting in Jesus. And that is according to grace. Because God's grace takes care of us in sending Jesus. Now it says this in the middle of verse 17. It says, God who gives life to the dead... And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. Since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, verse 21, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if entrance into God's family is salvation by faith, according to grace, you might say, well, so what does that actually do? And really what we learn right in verse 17, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as although they did. I like to say it this way, that God makes dead people alive. Salvation by faith, according to grace, is the fact that God makes dead people alive. Now, think about that for a second, because I think for most people, when you think about Christianity, you think, well, God makes good people better, right? That's the, the way it goes. Like, I meet people all the time where they say, well, I could never be a Christian because, like, all the Christians are good people. And I'm like, you ever been to church before? So I always say, you ever actually go to church? I'm like, listen, Christianity is that God makes good people better. It's that he makes dead people alive. You know, we, we love these movies today. I mean, maybe you don't, but our culture loves zombie movies. You realize that's what we're living every single day, right? It's the zombie apocalypse everywhere right now. People are alive, but they're really dead. That's what, the, that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if a person is outside of Christ, although they have breath in their lungs, they are truly spiritually dead. Now, I know that might sound offensive to some people. When I first heard it, it was super offensive. But then what you start to realize is absolutely the truth. If you were to meet a zombie, now I'm not encouraging you to do that. And you would say, hey, listen, you know, like you're alive, but you're really dead. 
Do you think the zombie's going to be like, okay, great. Of course they're going to lash out. They want to bite you and they want to turn you into a zombie. That's how it works. If you ever watch those zombie movies, which I never watch. I'm just kidding. But the thing is, is the good news of Jesus is that God takes people who were dead in their trespasses and sins and makes us alive again. Listen to what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? See, here's the deal. We were dead. And through our faith in Jesus, by his grace, God made us alive again. And the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that those of us who were once dead and now have been made alive in Christ, now we have this message of life. That we can go to any zombie who we meet, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at our jobs, whether it's at at the soccer field or wherever we are, we can say, listen, Jesus wants to give you life. Now listen, I don't recommend calling anybody a zombie. And especially being reminded that we were all there as well. So you can't go judging a zombie. I can't believe you're a zombie because you were one. And the only reason you're not a zombie is because of God's grace. But the good news is that God takes dead people and makes them alive again. And now listen, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, when was the last time you were just saying, Lord, thank you for making me alive because I used to be dead. Thank you for making me alive to who you really are because I live my life dead. I was outside of you. And see, what we find here is that God takes things that are dead and he makes them alive again. God calls those things which do not exist, verse 17 tells us, although they did exist. See, this is why you talk about being raised up in your family of faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, hope should be the overriding ethic of your life. Because if God can take dead people and make them alive, if God could call things that don't exist into existence as though they've always been there, then the only thing we should do is hope. Now, I love that word hope. It's unfortunate. All these words get kind of co-opted by our culture. But I always like to say, you say, how do you define hope? H-O-P-E, having only positive expectations. Write that down. Some people will say, you say they're like, that can't be true. It's totally true. If you believe in the God who can take dead people and make them alive, who calls into existence things that don't exist, then you should be able to look at the circumstances and the situations of our world and of your life and say, because I believe in a God who can make dead people alive, then I have hope that God is going to do a great work. And we learn that that's exactly what Abraham had. Listen to what it says about Abraham. So powerful. It says, who, verse 18... Contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. 
And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. See, we go back to Abraham and it says that against hope, he walked in hope. Why? Because remember God had promised Abraham an heir. And God had not provided that heir. And Abraham was getting pretty old. He was a 100 by the time Isaac was born. Sarah was 90. So the reason why it says contrary to hope is because it went against every bit of logic. See, that's what I love so much about walking with Jesus is that I like to consider myself a pretty logical person. Right? I think God gave us a brain and he wants us to use it. Right? And just so you know... I want you to believe that too, that God gave you a brain and he wants you to use that thing. Does that make sense? Because for a lot of people, they think that Christianity is you check your brain at the door. Right? It's like people like are scared to make ask questions. I always say God's not afraid of your questions and we shouldn't be either. Things are complicated sometimes. But here's the thing. No matter how logical you are, God invites us into some illogical situations. The Bible is full of it. And the fact that Abraham trusted in God when he was 100 years old and his wife was 90 and they had never had a biological child together, that was contrary to all logic at that point. I I think I told this to you recently. I was talking to my grandma. I love her so much. She just turned 91. My grandfather's 95. And every time they talk about how how they're so old. You know what I mean? And I'm always like, well, listen, don't forget. In five years, Abraham and Sarah had a baby. And my grandparents are so spunky and funny. They always have some sort of crack for that, you know? Like my grandma one time, she said, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible, you know? And then she said, that's why I don't let your grandpa get near me anymore. I'm like, grandma! TMI, grandma, TMI. I'm like, I know that you were, my mom was born through the virgin birth. I know how this works, grandma. But the thing is, is that like, if I were to go to you right now, the oldest person here in the room, and I say, hey, listen, guess what? In a couple of years, you're going to have a baby. You'd be like, Pastor Daniel, you done lost your mind. We need to get you to a doctor. But listen, when you realize that God makes dead people alive, that you're saved by faith, according to grace, then you start to walk in hope, even when everything says it makes no sense. I was just talking to someone recently. They took the step to begin trusting God with their finances. Stepping on out, being generous. And literally within two weeks, got all these crazy stories. Like, I never even realized. I mean, I heard, I, like, this is my story now. And it's like, yeah, isn't it awesome? Makes no sense in the world's eyes. Makes no sense. But that's the thing. When you walk by faith and you trust the Lord, God does things that you would never have guessed. Like, it goes against logic. And I wonder how many of us here today, even though everything points to the fact that it's impossible, you've bought into the impossibility of this world and not the all possibility of God. I wonder how many of us are not living like our father Abraham, our father of faith. Is there a situation that you are struggling to hope in right now? Is, are you looking at a situation, you're saying everything points to the fact 
that this thing is not going to work. If that's you, listen, you have to remember two words we say it here all the time. But God. And we should be the most hope-filled people. We should be hope-tivists. Activists of hope. That God can... You like that, right? Write that down. hope to this. I saw that from our founding pastor, Bill Ritchie. He always says that. We should be hope to this. Have you lost hope in something right now? The ethics of God's... We get raised up in hope. Abraham was hopeful because he realized his body was dead. Sarah's womb was dead at that point. But notice what it says in verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. See, those verses are powerful because that is the fruit of somebody who trusts God, who hopes in God. Look, notice what it says. He didn't waver at God's promises. Listen, when God has said it in his word, you don't have to waver. This is fixed. We might be all over the place. But when we trust God, we don't have to waver at his promises. We trust that he is God and he knows exactly what he's doing. And when you do that, then you get strengthened in your faith. Then your faith becomes something that now strengthens your life. And not only that, you begin to give glory to God. You want to talk about evangelism, my friends? Talk about sharing the good news? When one of God's kids looks straight in the face of something that is not possible... And doesn't waver in unbelief with the promises and starts praising God. I know that my God can do this. I know it makes no sense. I know that you think I'm nuts, but I believe in a God who makes dead people alive. I believe in a God who, even though something doesn't exist, he brings it forth as if it does. Because I believe I'm going to praise God in the midst of this calamity because I know that my God is good. And when that happens, it says... That we become fully convinced that what God has promised, he is able to perform. Brothers and sisters, listen. The only thing that the world today wants is for people of God to have no hope. The only thing that the enemy wants today is for you and I not to be strengthened in our faith. To waver at his promises and unbelief. To stop giving glory to God. To stop saying, God, I'm going to declare your good attributes in the midst of this. There's an onslaught in each one of our lives against us giving glory to God. Because what happens is, is once that happens, then we begin to doubt. And we're reminded that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Are you doubtful today? Are you hopeless today? Our father of faith, Abraham, teaches us how to hope. Jesus is real. Having hope isn't easy. It requires you to keep a positive outlook when there's little to no evidence that anything will change. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you of Abraham, a man who was given a great promise and then still had to wait for its fulfillment. Abraham didn't lose hope, though. He knew God would come through for him, and he clung to his faith. Hope may seem impossible, but hold on anyway. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. 
Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares why you can't always rely on what you've experienced to dictate your faith. If you only look to what has happened in your life and in lives around the world, you'll get an idea of what Christianity means to a lot of people, but you won't find the truth. The only way to really know what following Jesus is really supposed to be is to dig into the Word of God Himself. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.